Chapter 3, September 11, 1777, Germantown, Philadelphia. Connie opened her eyes, rubbed them, stretched her arms to one side and her legs to the other. Her feet, toenails painted red with the latest lacquer from England, slipped out from underneath the thin cotton cover that laid over her long, lean legs. Never one to linger over anything, she swung her feet over the side of the bed, grabbed a silk robe off the hook next to her bed, tied it around her, and slipped her feet into a matching pair of silk slippers. Both silk garments were given to her by a merchant who often sailed the Orient as a tip for extra service one night. Connie usually insisted on cash, but she allowed herself to be swayed by the beautiful colors in the robe and slippers. She reminded herself never to be swayed again. She walked a few steps over to the large picture window and looked out at the traffic that was making its way back and forth down the hill at a distance on the road by the Rissahickon River that led to Philadelphia. Some on horses, some in carriages, fine and run down in equal number and many on foot. The amount of traffic was unusual for early morning, even though more people came out in the morning because the weather was so hot and humid. All of Philadelphia was on high alert, based on talk around her house by loyalists and patriots alike. The loyalists bragged that the King's army was making its way towards Philadelphia after successful campaigns in New York. They said that they were going to drive the treasonous founders of their new country out of their capital city of Philadelphia in a blaze of gunfire and a show of force. The Patriots said that they were preparing to give the Redcoats a shellacking like none they had ever experienced, holding them back from the seat of liberty and driving them back to the Schuylkill River and across the Atlantic. Connie tried to remain passionless as she heard such talk. Her livelihood depended on servicing both patriots and loyalists, and if the British Army came to Philadelphia, she would not be above servicing them as well. Her family would be horrified, she knew, because they were passionate patriots. But her family was so horrified by so many of her actions for what seemed to her to be her entire lifetime that the thought of the reaction only gave her momentary pause. They didn't understand why she threw away a quiet, honest, clean life in Paoli for a life of debauchery in Philadelphia. And she couldn't explain it to them. Since leaving home two years ago, she was even more sure that she had made the right decision. It was tough at first, trying to make money on her own as a woman without a sponsor and without much of an education. But she quickly learned that she could make money fast and in sufficient quantities to support herself if she traded on what she had that people, especially men with money, wanted. Long legs, big bosom, long chestnut colored hair, delicate hands, full lips, and eyes framed by long and lush eyelashes. All of that earned her a clean bed and a small room to call her own when she went to see Madame Celine at her brothel in the heart of Philadelphia, not far from where the Continental Congress met every day one very hot summer. Connie quickly became a favorite of several of the delegates as they spent months away from home and their wives drafting the Declaration of Independence and creating a new country. 
Madame Celine was a patriot and her brothel was a favorite informal meeting place. Connie enjoyed hearing about daily deliberations and how to form a United States out of a loose collection of colonies and all things political when the delegates came to visit at the end of the day or during the middle of the day when they needed a break from especially rancorous debate. Many days she thought about her mom and dad and how excited they would be to know that she met and intimately knew many of the men who debated and signed the Declaration of Independence and now were guiding their new country through this terrible war. During that summer alone, Connie earned enough money to start saving some, and one of those important men was her backer. Since he was already married, he could not marry her to provide for her. Connie didn't even want that. She suggested to him that he help her establish her own business, a brothel of her own, not downtown in competition with Madame Celine, to whom she would always be grateful, but on the outskirts of the city, in an area where client privacy could be more protected and assured. The heat was maddening that summer, so she thought about setting up shop somewhere that would be much cooler. There was nothing worse than having a large, smelly man sweating on top of you in a room with no air. She told her benefactor, who came from one of the southern colonies and didn't know much about the city of Philadelphia, about a lovely part of the city where Germans settled when they came to Philadelphia and were wealthy city dwellers like Benjamin Chu, bought second homes to escape when the heat of the city became too much. It was called Germantown. And since it was outside of the crowded and cramped streets of central Philadelphia, the homes were larger. One evening, this southern patriot paid Madame Celine for Connie's time, rented a carriage, and took Connie for a ride to Germantown. He loved the green trees, large houses, and cool air. He said it reminded him of South Carolina. As they drove around, they saw a large stone house set back on a slight hill off of the main drive into Philadelphia. All that was missing were the slaves, he said. Connie assured him that some of the people around there had slaves. She told him in her sweetest voice that she didn't believe in the practice herself, but that she wasn't going to hold it against him because he did. She thought that if one human being was going to use another, at least the other one, the one being used should be paid for it like she was. It had a back entrance that was slightly hidden by trees with plenty of room for carriages. Connie thought that it would be perfect for a brothel, providing the right amount of privacy for clients. Its strategic position, overlooking the river drive into the city on the back and fronting on the Germantown Road, would also allow her to see anyone who approached the home from Philadelphia. Her benefactor loved the size of the house as it reminded him of his large plantation house. Once they returned to Philadelphia, he made inquiries around town as to who the owner was and whether he would be willing to sell. It just so happened that the owner was a patriot, despite the many loyalist Quakers in the area. And the owner was planning to enlist in Washington's army and move his family back into the city to await his return so the large house would be too much of a burden on his wife alone with their young children. When the owner found out the identity of the person who wanted to buy the house, he became even more interested. 
The purchase was wrapped up within the week. Connie moved in with a few of the women from Madame Celine's about two weeks later with Madame Celine's blessing. If one of her girls was ready to move on, Madame Celine would rather they did it out of town than be in direct competition. With what Connie and her girls were selling, the men from Philadelphia considered the trip to Germantown just a very minor inconvenience indeed. And now, the people came and went on the River Drive and the Germantown Road. They had all heard that the British were coming from the south, from Maryland, and the Continental Army was amassing in Brandywine, Chester County, to stop them.